2: welcome to the iron women podcast i'm Alyssa gadesky i'm here with my co-host haley chura haley i've decided to start a new segment for our listeners starting this week it's called haley chura's kona prep workout of the week so what's your kona prep workout of the week (sighs) for all of our listeners doing kona doing kona virtually who just want to support you we can all give these a try in your next like what eight weeks or so lead up to to the big island. So tell us, give us a good one for this one. Oh week. goodness.
0: This is a lot of pressure. Also, something that people can give a try. I will say, okay, here's my like disclaimer. Like, um, maybe like
2: oh, we want the good stuff. Is- we want well, the hard okay, stuff. I'll tell
0: don't- you, yeah, keep but it then, hard. Like, definitely do what your coach says. Or like, it's okay to scale. <laughs> you know, you don't have to do quite as much as me, but um. Let me think. I uh, So this weekend, I actually, um, Sunday morning, I went out and I did um, five by 20-minute hill repeats on the bike. This is on the bike. And whoa, whoa. Yes, it was a whoa. I was like, it was one of those days where I was like really planning to get on the road by 6 AM. But when my alarm went off at like 5, I was like, eh, no. <laughs> so i think i didn't i wasn't out of bed by 6 a.m so i got on the road at 8 a.m so it wasn't quite as bad but i just was tired i mean i think part of it again is the olympics like as much as i love them they keep me up too late but um so i got on the road a little bit late i was trying to avoid the heat of the day because i knew it'd be a tough session for me but i actually it went pretty well i i this is kind of funny okay i had five of them and i wanted to be consistent and i was doing it on the same hill so i just go up 20 minutes turn around recover down easy go back up and i was telling myself um, this is well i was like i'd been watching a lot of swimming and i was like pace these more like uh bobby fink than michael andrew <laughs> does does that did you get that <laughs> i i have seen a lot of the jokes on
2: twitter this past week about um the Pacing, Michael Michael Andrew, that's his name. Michael Andrew's pacing issues and his propensity to just go out hard and then fade in a in a pretty solid fashion for the last portion of his race. Yeah, so
0: okay. For anyone who missed the Olympics, Michael Andrew, American sprinter and 200 IM-er, he did swim. I mean, he is the top male 200 IM-er from the United States. So all credit goes to Michael Andrew. He's very fast swimmer, but his 200 IM was painful to watch. I mean, he is someone who trains like he does. You know, the high intensity. Lots of rest, low volume training, and it's just different than a lot of people. But he was leading the 200 IM by like a body length at 150, and then came home. And his last 50 was very painful to watch. He went from first to fifth, and which still fifth at the Olympics incredible. But um, I think he split like a 31 second 50 meter free, which wasn't terrible. But then you compare that to Bobby Fink, American distance swimmer who swam the 1500 and 800 and just had these incredible swims. And his last 50 in the 1500, Alyssa was a 25 seven. And again, I know we're the iron women podcast. We usually focus on women's sports, but I was like, there's things we can learn from these. Right. And so I was like, I didn't, I can't say, okay, I will admit my first, my first, my first hill climb was my best. So, but I think, you know, my fifth one wasn't too bad. So anyway, um, if anyone wants to try, you know, uh, an Ironman workout, <laughs> that's mo- that's one of my most recent ones. And then the other key was the run off the bike. I will say I ran 25 minutes off the bike. Um, I basically did 15 minutes easy and then 10 minutes with some increasing speed changes. And that was done at like 1 p.m. Heat of the day here. The best part of that was that there was no one out because it was very very warm, and so the trails that are normally quite crowded were empty, so I was able to just go and um and i it was it was hard. I definitely got home and I like drank a lot of fluids like all the noon instant I could get my hands on
2: Haley, I think I like that twenty minute i actually i really like like kind of hill repeats big gear strength building stuff for the bike um and i think i might put in a request when i'm doing probably not this training block i'll be honest with you but maybe i'll do on a ride i have coming up like a 20 minute climb in there and in your honor to kind of salute your kona training um but i do i like that kind of i like repeats i like long repeats so i actually think that workout would be something i would like so thanks for sharing that little piece and you mentioned noon instant Haley, I've been drinking a lot of Noon Instant lately, even though it's not really that warm right now. <laughs> New Hampshire It's actually raining quite a bit, but I've been, uh, I just really am like obsessed with Noon Instant and I really love the flavor, so I don't mind drinking it at all. What flavor have you been drinking?
0: I just was going to say this. I just got a shipment of noon. I got it on Saturday. So I was like so ready for Sunday for this workout. And I tried the watermelon noon instant for the first time. So in my, like what I ordered was, this is like for my Kona prep. So this wasn't part of the question, but, or, you know, but um, I got a lot of the um, endurance, the noon endurance, because that is probably my go-to for the most, like while I'm on the bike. And I will add that one of the issues I have here in Montana is that you know there aren't a lot of like gas stations or public water fountains, so it's really hard. So I rode with like four bottles. I wish I had done five, and I just like then I left like three of them at the base of the climb, and so I had one with me while I'm climbing and then recover and I'd drink it and then get a fresh one at the bottom. And so I kind of set up my own little aid station if anyone else has that issue with a lack of, of resources around you. But um, but post race or post post race. Post workout, the watermelon noon instant. I just I had never tried it before. I'd always been kind of a lemon lime girl, and it's great. I yeah. highly recommend it. I really
2: like the watermelon. I'm waiting for a really warm day. It's been like I I have a, a I love appliances. I have like a lot of kitchen appliances that I rarely use, and one of those that but I love them all, and I like. It wait for the perfect time to use them like someone's over for brunch i'm like oh should we make waffles with my waffle maker like do we have bagels i have a bagel cutter right like all i love all appliances so um it should be no surprise that i have an ice cream maker and one of the things you can do with an ice cream maker is to make um like slushies and so i've actually i this is going to be the like kick that I needed to because I need to get that ice cream maker out so I can make I've been thinking that a watermelon noon instant slushy like slurpy style is probably going to be like I just have to time it for when we have like a semi pretty warm day and then I'll I'll do like a hard run or something and then it'll be like the perfect treat I wish I could that mail it to you Haley, but so I can't good
0: I wish you could too I just like that sounds so good we've had a lot of very very warm days and it's very dry and I'm very, very thankful for that noon shipment. It was definitely very much needed. But if any of our listeners, if they need some noon, you know, noon endurance, noon instant, noon sport, the tabs are always very easy. Um, head to noonlife.com. Use the code livefeisty. That's all one word with a capital L, capital F, and you'll get 30% off. Such a good deal. And that is the key. I mean, there's a lot of races coming up, a lot of warm races coming up. And staying hydrated is, is the key to success in all of those things
2: haley speaking of um i'm gonna change up our order here a little bit but we're gonna jump right into the mailbag question because it has to do with hydration so this is like perfect lead-in and thank you to uh elena who sent in the mailbag question first she had a very cute dog story about a dog that loved blackberries and they would take him to where there were blackberry bushes and he would read them eat them right off the plant so he's much smarter than ramona and then after a blackberry eating session, he got back in the car and then he shook himself. So like all of the, um, like blackberry juices got all over the car and it was like a a horror scene. So that's, yeah, I love that story. Um, always, you can always send your dog stories into our mailbag at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. But Alina also had another question She's an age group triathlete. She struggles with drinking enough during the run, in particular for 70.3 and full distance races. So she tries to usually just drink whatever's on the course. But she says she wonders if she should use a full fuel belt or a handheld water bottle because she uses those in trainings. But she thinks it might look silly in the race. So what? then she heard Haley talking about using a handheld. She's like, maybe this isn't so silly after all. And... Uh, Elena, I love this question. I loved, I, I love your like honesty about that because I too think about things that I'm like, maybe I should do this because I feel like this would make my race better or more comfortable. And I'm like, would that look silly? And you know what? Number one, you like strike that out of your head.
0: Right. Obviously if I do it, it's very cool and hip and fashionable because nothing I do is silly. Um, I will say, you know, like you're already kind of running around a city in spandex, which is a little odd um when you think about it when you take a step back <laughs> think about it i mean you're surrounded by a lot of other people and then i i would also say it's kind of like it's kind of like at the gym i don't know if you ever um you know at the gym you know, it's like oh is are people everyone's looking at me and watching how i do this and like the truth is that everyone is looking at themselves in the mirror and no one's looking at you except occasionally people do look at me when i like and bring out my fan but also i'm like no cuz they're jealous they're jealous. They are not, <laughs> but um, but I mean, which could be it. I think people are also jealous of me for when I run with a bottle. So here is my I I love the handheld. I run in like a, with a very you know a fairly inexpensive, you know, more like I think it's a. I was just looking at this up because someone else asked me about like a twenty one ounce wide mouth bottle, and I do not mind having it in my hand. I know some people do not like that sensation, but I I like it, and I train like that, and so it's just something I've gotten used to. And it's not like the the biggest bottle you can have, but it's pretty big. And the big key is the wide mouth. Like so you can unscrew it and it's like a wide mouth. So then it's an easy target when you're going through an aid station to throw ice or throw water in there. It's just like you don't need to have a lot of coordination, which I don't have on a good day. Definitely don't have during an Ironman. And that would be my, my suggestion over the fuel belt. I run with a fuel belt, but those bottles, like they have a very small opening. And so it's going to be really hard to refill. And then for me, honestly, I prefer to carry something like carry the weight in my hand versus around my waist. I feel like around my waist, it just, it changes my gait a little bit and it just feels heavier. And again, if it's just in your hand and it's a $5 water bottle, I mean, I know we want to be like sustainable and everything, but if you had to throw it away, if it's driving you crazy, it's not like your favorite fuel belt that you need in training all the time. I think that's true and uh two things I'll add is one um
2: a lot of times by the time you get to the run it's like it's like that adage of like once you you feel thirsty it's too late right to rehydrate kind of thing but like you know making sure you're like take a look at your hydration starting from the the bike leg and even in the days before like leading into the race are you hydrating with electrolytes like going into race um as it is and then on the bike like really make sure you know take a hard look and like It's easy to be like oh i had you know four bottles or something like that but like really like sit down and make yourself think about like did i finish that bottle before i threw it at the next aid station you know and like really try and do a good like self-check on how much you're actually drinking during the bike and then do that same thing for during the run and then like try and set a hard goal and like haley said like carry that water bottle and be like okay i need to finish this water bottle by the aid station at this mile mark to like meet that goal right and like it's. I think I find that a lot of athletes are going to be like, okay, I'll carry the handheld. And then they think that by carrying the handheld, they will just drink more. But like, that doesn't necessarily go hand in hand. You still have to like, kind of plan like, okay, I should, you know, be at least taking, you know, a sip. If If I'm taking a sip every five minutes, that gets me half a bottle and that would be good. You know, like use it in training, experiment with that kind of stuff so that you are able to kind of approximate what works for you Um, because just carrying the handheld bottle isn't going to actually get more fluids into you. You have to like also do the mental checks to make sure you're, you're drinking from that bottle and you're drinking frequently enough and that sort of thing. Um, But I do think it sounds like if you're using it in training, just carrying that bottle is going to be a big, a great
0: first step for you. And I think you'll look great. I will, I'll throw you some extra cheers for sure. And Haley, we have
2: a Live Feisty announcement. So um there's the Outspoken Summit coming up in November. And it is November 12th to 14th. And they had the virtual registration for tickets open. And yay! We are opening the in-person tickets. So you can go to outspokensummit.com and check out the tickets for in-person Outspoken Summit happening this year, November 12th to the 14th. Follow it on Outspoken Triathlon on Instagram for all other updates, like speakers that are coming and all that kind of thing. If you already bought a virtual ticket, you can always upgrade to an in-person ticket as well. There is going to be that option. So you don't have to like buy both. You'll There will be kind of like an upgrade option to be able to switch between them like that. So um, very exciting that that's opening up and happening again this November.
0: And in Tempe, Arizona, did you say that? Um, oh, that's I don't think in I person. That's Yeah, that's, a, that's an important
2: part of something if you're going in person, huh? Yeah, <laughs> go I mean, to Arizona,
0: but Arizona is a nice place to be in November. I, you know, and there's always such a good lineup at that Outspoken Summit of speakers, so definitely something to consider. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that they are opening that up for in-person sales. Exciting things, Alyssa, but um, OutspokenSummit.com is again that address email, wait, not email website.
2: (laughs) And Haley, we have a really fun interview for everyone coming up today.
0: Yes. Okay. Alyssa, we didn't even like touch on the Olympics, but that's okay because we touched on the Olympics a lot during this interview, but I, well, I get a little bit, we talked about the, the swimming, but, um, you know, the big thing that just happened, the mixed Triathlon relay uh, made its Olympic debut, and so we we wanted to talk more about the Olympics. And so we're bringing we brought on Sarah Haskins, who herself is an Olympian. She finished 11th at the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. And Sarah tells us all, you know, her thoughts on watching the mixed relay, on watching the women's race in Tokyo, and a lot about the mental pressures that Olympians are under while they're at the game. So very, very cool to have her insight. Sarah is one of the most decorated American triathletes of all time. She has won more than 50 professional races, including St. Anthony's Marathon. She was an eight-time champion there. She was the silver medalist at the 2008 ITU World Championships. She finished second at the High V Triathlon, the you know huge prize purse triathlon in 2012. She um, won the Lifetime Cup three times. I mean, it's we could just be here forever. She had a 15-year pro career. She retired in 2019, and so she tells us a lot about that process the retirement process and what she's been doing since so we'll have our interview with Sarah Haskins right after the break
2: Haley it's summertime and racing and traveling is back hot temps race recovery and mountain adventures is the recipe of my summer and I am
0: always carrying noon instant in my water bottle hydration pack and post-race clothes bag Alyssa, I'm with you, and I'm using Noon Instant as a way to keep reminding my taste buds that we have a little appointment on the big island in October that is sure to need all the replenishment of electrolytes, vitamins, and minerals that we can get.
2: You can get your own Noon Instant, Noon Sport, or any of the Noon Hydration Podium Series products at noonlife.com and use the code
0: LIVEFEISTY for 30% off. That's noonlife.com with code LIVEFEISTY, capital L and capital F.
2: The Iron Women Podcast is grateful to Zelio Skincare for their continued support of the podcast. I'm always excited when I start pulling out the Zelio Sun Barrier more and more because that's a sure
0: sign races are around the corner. And I'm going to be happier than ever using my Zelio's Race Relief Cold Therapy Muscle Gel because it means I actually got to do an in-person race this year. You can get your own Xelios Sun Barrier, Race Relief, Shower Products, and Chamois Cream for 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN at TeamZilio's.com.
2: Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and
0: efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part they don't just give you data, they
2: provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to slash ironwomen and get started.
0: Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast.
1: Hi, ladies. Thank you very much for having me.
0: So we want to start with the big recent news in triathlon. So by the time this interview airs, the Olympics will be over. But the Olympic triathlon was incredibly exciting this year, and it did include the debut of the mixed relay. We saw Great Britain take the gold. U.S. was in second, and France got the bronze. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious, did you watch the race, and what did you think about it?
1: I did. I watched the women, the men's race, the women's race, and the, uh, mixed relay. And it was so much fun. I loved watching the relay. I was a little bit, Nate, my husband and I, Nate, we we're a little bit sad. We were like, Oh, we, so i so wish I, we could have done a relay, you know, back when a long time ago when I was in the Olympics in 2008. Um, and I, they did announce that, you know, I did do the relay when they debuted in 2009 at Des Moines. Um, but uh, it was so much fun to watch, and like Team USA, they did so—they did amazing. Like I was so proud of each athlete. They each one stepped up to the plate and won the silver medal. So it was so cool.
2: And Sarah, so like you said, you raced the mixed relay in Des Moines in 2009. That was at the World Championships, and US finished fourth there. So, can you talk about like the strategy that goes into a race like that? Like, what did you know? Do you think you have any? insight into why they put people where they did or or that kind of thing
1: yeah well when I raced it it was at Des Moines like after um you know the
2: the
1: I when it Des Moines was still an ITU race um and it was so new to the sport I think people were just still kind of learning strategies and who to go when and what, what to do um and then as you know it's progressed as it's been in triathlon um I feel like like, especially for the women, the third leg, it's really important on the bike to be strong on the bike. If you're going to pick between the three disciplines and then same for the men, um, going second and fourth, you have to be strong really in all three disciplines. Um, and I think just the bike leg being the longest time frame of the three, it's, it is still the, you know, a very, very important part of, of the triathlon. And then for the women, um, I think it's especially important to be a strong swimmer as well, just because it's like, you know, your typical ITU style race. You don't want to get dropped from the, you know, the lead pack, so to speak. And then the rest of the second, third, and fourth leg, it's almost like it could be a, a non-draft race, basically, is what it can turn into.
0: That would have been fun to see you do that, but it was fun to watch uh, Team USA. Like you mentioned, it was Taylor Nibb. Going in that third leg, had a very strong bike and did make up some ground on uh, on Georgia Taylor Brown and got a little separation from France. So it was fun, just like you said. So congratulations to those athletes. I think it was Katie Zafiris, uh, then Kevin McDowell, Taylor Nibb, Morgan Pearson, second place for the US. So we are we're excited. But talking about the women's individual race, mm-hmm. um, Flora Duffy from Bermuda, she won. And Flora is actually someone that you raced with. I think in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, you mentioned you raced, you finished 11th, and I think Flora competed, but she didn't finish that race. So what did you think about her, her performance in Tokyo?
1: Oh, I was just, I was so proud of Flora and so happy for her. Yes, and her and I started together, um, I think she was about 17 or 18 years old, way back in 2005, I believe it was. I was riding in a van with her, going to a World Cup in Mexico. And that was the first time I met her. And just throughout the years, um, her and I have similar style of racing. Um, she's a strong swimmer and her her and I both like to push the bike hard and work together on the bike. So I've had quite a few races with her. So I was just, and, and I know she had an injury, was it 2018? She was out most of that year. So I was really, really proud to see her just, you know, overcome the injury. And then obviously everything with COVID and being able to stay mentally tough and just to, um, have a strong swim, strong bike and finish with a great run. And I mean, and I was happy for all three, all three of those women on the podium, um, Georgia Taylor Brown and Katie. I mean, she had an amazing race as well.
2: Yeah. To touch on Katie's affairs with, um, her being our American bringing home the bronze medal. Um, you know, Katie got the discretionary spot on the team for this year. So, you know, did you, have any thoughts about her performance and kind of how she came onto the team? Like, do you think, and she's had just quite a year with the passing of her father this year and things like that. I mean, um, you know, I think, I know I felt for her watching her and I'm not an Olympian that, you know? Um, And so, you know, did you feel like she was going to have the race that she had just from your perspective? Um, I
1: thought so. I knew that she had it in her and especially the way that the race played out, um, with it being kind of swim focused, you know, they had that break going in and they were able to work together. Um, you know, I think that, that trials race that she had, um, I mean, obviously with something with with her father passing right before, I mean, obviously that's going to have an impact on her race. And I think a discretion, I, I think that, um, Whoever had picked that, I'm not sure who was on the board to pick, but I think that they made definitely made the right call. You cannot leave out a world champion. You cannot leave out someone like Katie off that team who has the experience and who has um, those previous past race you know, success off that team. And I think that the right decision was made. And I had a strong feeling once Katie had a training block under her belt, she was going to have success.
0: In June of this year, prior to the start of the Tokyo Olympics, you wrote a letter to this year's Olympians that was posted on teamusa.org, that website. So in this letter, you encourage the athletes to recognize how the hype from the Games can be overwhelming and to prioritize their personal space and time. So athlete mental health has been a huge conversation Mm -hmm. topic around these Games. Can you tell us about the pressure that Olympians face while competing in the Olympics?
1: It's definitely a lot of pressure. I think just because the Olympics, it's a lot of everyone's goals, you know, since they were a small child, everyone's been watching the Olympics and triathlon all of a sudden it seems can be just, you know, it's not just triathlon, it's triathlon and the Olympics. You feel like the whole world is watching you. You feel like, um, you know, all of a sudden you're getting all these calls from people that you haven't heard from in years saying like, good luck, good luck. We're cheering you on. You're cheering you on. And in some ways, yes, it can be a lot of pressure. Um, so f- way back when, in when 2008, um, I was starting to feel a lot of pressure just as far as like you might get calls from media days leading into the event, um, or you might, you know, there's so much more going on, more protocols, um, uniform. I mean, the the list kind of piles up. And I think um, for me back then, it was just really important to remind myself that it's still a triathlon. It's I'm racing the women that I race at every World Cup or every um, back then it was still world cups, you know, every, um, I, you know, world championship race. And that really helped to calm me. Um, I feel for the athletes right now, uh, when I, in 2008, social media was really just starting to emerge. Now, social media is just such a huge part of everyday life. And I think it's a lot harder for athletes these days to kind of mentally step away because, everyone's got a phone and I think people are always kind of like expecting like instant feedback and remarks. So I think in a sense, it's a lot harder for athletes to kind of step away and have that mental break because
2: of social media.
1: And what Not about, that social media is a bad thing, but I'm just saying that well, like I think like, it's a little bit more challenging.
2: Yeah. The bombardment is, is really tough. And I mean, I can't imagine having to have the willpower to like really just, not look at it, you know, I think there are definitely right. athletes that do that. And that's hard. And then you d- miss out on a part of life if you don't, you know, like interact with just your friends. And, you know, even if you're just trying to like keep your your circle small, it's like you're going to see what people are saying to you, whether yeah. you want to or not. And that's that's gotta be really hard and wear on you throughout the Olympics. And then probably like afterwards, right? And mm-hmm. after the Olympics is something that's not really talked about or touched on too much. You know, the the closing ceremonies happen and then uh, you know, the fans move on to the next thing that they're going to watch in the primetime TV hours, that kind of thing. But for the athletes, I imagine it's quite different. And after the final swimming event, I think the camera caught American swimmer Reagan Smith telling a teammate, Thank goodness that's over. And British gold medalist Adam Peaty has already faced media criticism for saying he plans to take a month out of the pool. Triathlon's obviously a different sport, but after Beijing, you did continue to compete, racing a Pan American Cup uh, race about a month later. So, did you have any issues feeling like you kind of needed a break after you had all of the pressure of the games and, and things like that? Or were you okay kind of rolling and competing a little bit more?
1: Yeah. Well, right after my event, I mean, I t- spent some extra days in Beijing. I watched other races and um, I went to track, I went to BMX and and I spent time with, and, and, and for me, I I was able to have family there. So that makes a huge difference just being able to hang out with family. It was much more of a normal event. I mean, this year is so different, I think for these athletes, because I don't know what if, I mean, I think maybe they're allowed to go to some events, but I'm sure they're not having as many social activities as, the, as they normally would. So it's a completely new experience for them, you know, unlike any other Olympic games. Um, but for me, um, I knew that I was still racing. I actually um, was, competing in the Lifetime Fitness Series. Also, I don't know if you guys remember that series way back when. So I was competing in that, the non-draft series, as well as doing some ITU races. And for me, taking that week off, like while I was in China seeing other races, that was enough of a refresher for me. I was was fine with going back to other races. And I think that's just because what I was used to doing in triathlon, you know, you start your – typically for me, I'd start my season in March, April, and I'd end in October, November. So I was still kind of in that mode and having that week off you know was was okay for for me in china i was ready to get back and get to my season but you know for other athletes i think i think this year is just so different i mean there's not a lot of racing outside of the olympics the last couple years because of covid so for these athletes they're you know i think because there was just so much focus on the olympics probably with COVID, maybe some of these athletes are like oh my goodness like I need a break, just not just from the Olympics, just from COVID, from everything. I mean, I think there's there was even more focus on the Olympics this year, if that makes sense.
0: It is definitely a unique year. But I want to ask – this kind of goes into that – keeps in the Olympic theme, but you did an interview with triathlete magazine after your retirement from competition in 2019. And Mm -hmm. you were asked about your favorite moments and you noted Mm -hmm. a second place finish at the 2008 world championships and another second at the 2012 High V triathlon. So we see so much Mm -hmm. emphasis in the Olympics on winning gold medals and you have, you've won plenty of, of races. You've been at the top of the podium, but it sounds like you do recognize the value of second place. Can you tell us about that?
1: <laughs> uh, definitely. I mean, I feel like, you know, for me, like a lot of people say like in the Olympics that they lost the gold medal, they, and they won, and they, and they got, and they got silver. But, and I've been noticing this Olympics, they've been saying more of they won silver or they won bronze which I think is just so awesome to hear because it always disappoint, like it made my heart hurt for those athletes because I, it might be meteor outside people just to say like they lost the gold, because that's not the case. I think, you know, they, they won silver, they won bronze um, or they had a personal best and they finished fifth. I think that that's something that, you know, all athletes should be happy with their performance, be happy that they're at the Olympic games, you know, celebrate sport, I mean, That they're there that they're at the pinnacle of sport racing you know the top athletes all over the world and and for me um yes obviously you get to the start line and and you want to win you know that was my goal of winning but when i look back over my races yes some of my most memorable races weren't winning what made those races the most memorable it was because of how i performed on that day so maybe even i felt i fell short of first place I can look back and say that I was most proud of those races because everything just fell into place. Like for me, I felt like, you know, even though I didn't win, I executed to the best of my abilities and I was really proud of that day.
2: I wonder if having like, you know, other track athletes in the as the um announcing booth you know calling some of the races i noticed it especially in track where we have like Kara goucher and alicia montano calling some of the track races with the nbc broadcasters and it's like you know because they've been in those shoes of winning silver right winning bronze right. and they know how it feels when the announcer says like oh they lost gold you know and things like that yeah. like i wonder if that's helping change it and just their knowledge base and like how much they care um to call out things like this is a personal best still for this athlete even though you know they're in fifth that sort of thing and I think that's definitely a good evolution for the sport to like keep kind of you know whether they're retired from racing or you know on maternity leave and things like that um I think it's a it's a good way to keep that perspective because that's something the broadcasters would never know firsthand necessarily you know not all of them obviously
1: for sure. And I've noticed that change this year, this year um, watching the Olympics and, I could, and that we um, I've been watching on YouTube TV. We subscribe this month so that we could kind of um, backtrack and watch races cause, you know, with the three little ones at home. I'm not always able to watch things live. Um, and this is also the first Olympics for me. I'm kind of going off tangent that I really just I'm retired from the sport now. So that I can just, I'm taking a backseat and just able to take it all in. I feel like in 2012, I was alternate and just so busy with racing. And then 2016, um, you know, I was still racing as well, even though I wasn't doing as many IT races. I think um, whenever, and even in 2012, I I think when you're so close to that racing and you've just done the race and you just missed it, I mean, obviously you're watching with a little bit of just, I mean, not like regret, but you know, it's a little, it's hard to watch. It's hard to be like, oh, man, like I blood, sweat and tears trying to get there. And so this is really the first Olympics. I can say that I've just thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm just, you know, taking it all in. And I feel like the camera coverage this year has been fantastic. Um, I feel like like watching the triathlon, I felt like I was like watching it in person.
0: That's cool. You've been there. So that's a, that's a good (laughs) testament to that. But, um, and you mentioned, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but while you were racing draft legal Olympic distance or Olympic style racing, you were also having a lot of success on the non drafting circuit as well. And I believe the 2005 LA triathlon was your first professional win. You were a fixture Mm -hmm. atop the podium in St. Anthony's. You won the lifetime fitness race to the Toyota cup in 2009, 2011 and 2012. So we don't see many current Olympians mixing drafting and non-drafting races, which is probably in part because the non-drafting circuit just isn't quite as robust as it once was. So can you tell us about your strategy during that time when you would mix the two different race formats?
1: Yeah, well, for me, I was very fortunate because a lot of the lifetime fitness race series were in the U S so I didn't have to travel out of the country and I was still able to do both. I think it was 2000 and 11 i i was on the national team for usa triathlon and i believe the world championships were in china and i said hey look i i talked to usa triathlon and i said i still want to be part of usa triathlon i still want to try to qualify for the olympics but i'm going to step i'm not going to i'm going to forego funding because i wanted to have a little bit more flexibility in focusing on the lifetime fitness series because that was just a series that i felt like as far as a professional athlete i couldn't pass up back in at that time um, there was a lot of prize money at those races. Um, so at that point in time, I guess you can say I kind of stepped back a little a, a little bit from ITU. I still focused on making that Olympic team, but um, I didn't want to focus on, you know, with, with doing just ITU and being on the national team, I was going to have to travel to, you know, all the different continents because that was when the ITU series switched to, from, that quad it switched from world cups and one single world championships to where they were having um, the world triathlon series events where you had to travel to all the different there was barely any races in the u.s so about every month or every six weeks you had to travel internationally and a lot of people at that time chose to move to australia or to move to europe but for me i was married i had a house in colorado i just really wasn't at that stage in my life where i wanted to pack my bags up and and go to europe and do all the i2 races in europe so i just decided it was best for me you know do a couple i2 races still focus on make the olympics and then still be able to focus on the lifetime fitness series in the states
2: and sarah in 2013 you gave birth to your first child and you did return to racing fairly soon postpartum in recent years mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of advances in maternity leave for athletes and you know just more women feeling empowered to kind of come back on their own timeline whatever that might be so can you tell us about your experience especially with respect to your sponsor so did you feel pressure to return to racing yeah.
1: um i didn't really i did not feel pressure to return to racing from my sponsors i would say i felt pressure to return to racing just for myself just being an athlete i mean it wasn't i guess pressure but it was something i really wanted to do um i really wanted to be a mother first and foremost and i Wanted to also compete and I feel like when I had Caroline there were a few athletes that had done that But um, there weren't a lot and I feel like at the time I was just kind of you know, every day just kind of Navigating the waters so to speak Um, and since I've had my Caroline Eight years ago to having Catherine just a year ago. It's been amazing to see how much growth and knowledge and change and information out there for women. And um, I'm really proud of, you know, women, I guess, able to see that, yes, you can have a child and you can compete.
0: Sarah, during your professional triathlon career, your race earnings and your sponsorship income supported your entire family. And as your family grew, so did your financial responsibility. So it's no secret that sponsorship changed in the late 2010s. So can you share your thoughts on how financial pressures changed your training or racing strategies throughout your career?
1: Yeah, well, I think that was one of the decisions why I focused on the Lifetime Fitness Series too, because non-drafting was um, a strength of mine. And financially, that was just the best decision for my family. And then after having my daughter, I was able to do those races within the States and knowing not having to travel as much internationally. Not to say also traveling internationally every six weeks is really hard on your body, um, just with the jet lag and the time change. And as I was getting older, I found that that was just, it's, it's really, really challenging to do. Um, it's okay to travel you know, internationally maybe once or twice a year. But in 2009 and 2010, I was traveling internationally during season every four to six weeks. And I just couldn't keep up with that <laughs> too much longer. Um, but so to speak, um, I- I'm sorry, I kind of backtracks. What were you, oh, about my, per- per- with having more children. Yes. Um, so after having Caroline, um, it was, it was, the pressure was more internal within myself because Unfortunately, there were some people that had advised me that they just, you know, Sarah, you're in your prime, Um, don't stop the sport now, wait until you're 35 and then have kids. But, you know, so I felt like, I mean, I know I didn't have, I didn't have anything to prove to anyone, uh, you know, but I should just, you know, obviously enjoy myself and do it. But for some reason, I still felt like I wanted to prove that it was possible, if that makes sense to others. Um, And then As when I had my second child in 2016, you know, I guess it was around 2015, 2000, I'm sorry, 2017, I had my son, but 2015, 2016, I was thinking, okay, my daughter's two, three, I really want her to have a sibling. Um, How is it, you know, can I make this work with another child? And my husband, I made it, you know, we had, we had our son in 2017. And then after he was born, I told my husband, I think I have about two more years left because definitely after, after two Um, It got a lot more challenging. It wasn't just like double in the pressure and the responsibilities. It was like magnitude. And I think part of that was also because I told my husband, because I have two, I think I have about two years left in a sport. I told him to kind of figure out what he wanted to do because up to that point, Nate had been fully supporting me, helping me, training with me. And so when he, when I had my son and then I told him to explore his waters, figure out what he wants to do, I was doing a lot more on myself. So then I had, now I had two children and I'm basically doing it all myself and we had moved to Missouri. So I wasn't really by training partners as well. So it it, it got very difficult at the end. Um, just the pressure on myself that yes, I am not only supporting myself, but I am trying to support a family of four, um, I loved what I did each and every day, but those last couple of years, it got, it. to be honest, yes, it got extremely hard.
2: And Sarah, during kind of that whole time, we think that you made three attempts at the Ironman distance. So <laughs> at Ironman Arizona in 2015, yeah. you double flatted and then the cold yep. weather ultimately yep. ended your day on the bike. At Ironman Louisville in 2018, another very cold day, which is not normal yes. for Louisville. Um, you crashed yeah. on the bike and weren't able to finish. And then you had hoped yes. to race Ironman. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That was it. And then I was sick. I was sick going into, into that, Cozumel. Yeah.
2: Right. So yeah. you never, um, uh-huh. I don't even think you left home to to get to Cozumel. So. Right. Right. You know, what ultimately happened between you and racing Ironman? Did you just decide, like, I don't know what the opposite of third times the charm would be, but like third (laughs) times, like the nail in the coffin that it's not the right distance for you. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's the first time when I raced in Arizona, to be honest, I was not like I had the flat, but looking, looking back on that race, I was not prepared for that race because, um, I had raced in Florida. I think it was about a month before or three weeks before I had raced Miami 70.3 and I, had, I won that race. But I had a terrible stomach bug, stomach virus about two weeks before that race. And that's another thing with having small children, trying to keep yourself not getting sick. Um, I couldn't eat for five days. And I remember losing like 10 pounds. And I mean, it was horrible. I was sick like all night. And Nate's like, we're like, okay, let's just do our best. Like I was trying to just take gels in just to keep something down. And so I raced and that was about 10 days before the 70.3 in uh, Florida. And I think the problem was, was after that race, I couldn't recover because I had, you know, been sick. I could do that 70.3 in, in Florida and I was successful at that, but I just, my body couldn't recover. I remember I couldn't sleep after that race. And I just, there was a couple, you know, at that point I wasn't doing any long training before that Ironman, but I felt terrible. And I was just thinking, gosh, you know, I hope I can just do this. And then I got the flat and then same thing. It was raining also at that race. It was like 15 and raining, um, body shut down. And I was just, I just knew like, you know, I'm not going to slog through this. Like you just know as an athlete, like what your body can do and not do. So Anyways, I, at that point, yes, after having those flats and being on the side of the road and then, and then now fast forward to the next Ironman, Ironman Louisville. I was extremely prepared for that race. I was probably the fittest I had ever been. Um, I was in St. Louis training at that time. My son was a, was one and my, my daughter was in pre, uh, kindergarten and, um, I, that year in St. Louis, it was 90 degrees in May. We had no spring that year. It went from cold to hot. And it was 90, 95, degrees every single day until two days before the Louisville race. All of a sudden, it turned to 40. <laughs> so my body was in shock. Like we did the best we could. But, anyways, yeah, I, I, it's just, I'm very, now that's a completely different situation because I was so prepared for that race. Like, I mean, and then, um, Unfortunately, my brain um, was like in ITU transition because I, I was hot getting out of the water because we had a wetsuit on because, you know, it wasn't that cold. So I'm like, oh, I don't feel that cold. And I had never done an Ironman in cold. I mean, I'd barely ever done Ironman before. I guess all the European competitors, they spent like 30 minutes in transition putting like foil um, underneath their outfits. And like I had no clue. I mean, my husband and I were like very green. We had no idea like you're supposed to do all that. So I left transition, you know, with like barely anything on and it was 40 degrees and raining. And I'm like, well, I've done an IT race in this before. I'll be fine. No, not in an Ironman. I just remember like 30 minutes into the race. I felt great the first 20 minutes. I mean, as good as you can be. And then um, I just was hearing a really loud noise on the bike and I realized it was my teeth chattering. They were chattering so loud uncontrollably. I stopped and one of the aid stations and a guy gave me his big, like extra large jacket. And I, my hands got so cold. I couldn't shift my bike. I had to walk, I was walking my bike up the Hills because I couldn't shift my bike. And then like later on in the bike, I was getting so cold. I couldn't even, I just kept crashing. I couldn't control my body. So that was that race, unfortunately. But I think that's part of Ironman, right? Like there's just I wasn't prepared. So in my long story here of what happened, um, You know, and I guess I think things work out sometimes for a reason. It just, you know, it did not work out for me, and that's okay. I'm at peace with that. Um, I ended up with carrying over some of that fitness to the Toyota. uh, I'm sorry, not the Toyota. (laughs) um, The Challenge Daytona race. That was the first year they had the debut and Challenge Daytona. So since I missed that Ironman Cosmel being sick, um, I asked Belinda Granger. I emailed her. I'm like, hey, I see there's one more race left on the schedule, and I got to do the the challenge race in in Florida and actually I'm so I mean that was one of my favorite races of my career so in hindsight through all that I got to do that race
0: the whole idea <laughs> of Ironman and watching ITU athletes kind of feel like or transition to Ironman we just saw Lisa Norden race Ironman Lake Placid a couple weeks ago and win mm-hmm. it um uh, but we've seen Gwen Jorgensen like step away totally completely yeah. from the sport and not feel like Mm -hmm. she needs to go longer. And I mean, can you speak to that a little bit, the pressures of when you are such a good athlete at a short distance? Like, do you feel like you need to move up and go longer distances? And then when you do that, you also need to win it.
1: So I think for me, because there was the absence of the short course non-draft, they cut the lifetime series and cut the high B races. I kind of felt like, well, I guess I either go back to ITU or I go long course. And for me, I was at the position that I wasn't going to travel um internationally with having at the time my two children um so i felt like for me i was it was it was much easier for a family lifestyle to race long course and you know i i I think for me um i was starting i had done short course for so long there's still a steep learning curve for the long course races as well and i think you also part of it for me is the last couple years of my career, it was really hard to fit any type of recovery. in, And I think when you're training long course, you need more recovery. And that just wasn't on my plate at the time. You know, I can maybe squeak by with some, my short course racing, or at least rely on experience of what I've been doing for a year, but I didn't feel pressure one way or another on myself. Um, I do feel like I'm, as unfortunate as it is, um, Minus outside the Olympics for short course racing, most people in triathlon feel like, you know, you're like, and this goes with age groupers, like you're not a triathlete unless you've done an Ironman, you know, for for what I've heard so many age group athletes say that. And it breaks my heart when I hear them say that because I feel like there's so much more to triathlon than just doing an Ironman. I feel like, you know, there's sprint distance, Olympic distance, you know, middle distance. I mean, I feel like... Completing any one of those can make you a triathlete. So I think that's changing. And I hope that, you know, for the age group athletes out there, they don't feel like that they have to just do an Ironman. Nothing against an Ironman, but I just want, you know, people to feel that there's all a distance out there.
2: Sarah, we saw an article from a St. Louis newspaper published in mid-2018. And in it, you mentioned your plan to retire following the 2019 race season. That seems like mm-hmm. a pretty well-planned-out retirement strategy, potentially. So <laughs> how did you know it was time, and did that final year feel yeah. different knowing it would be your last? You know, what went into that decision?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah like I said, I think I, I had mentioned after having my son, I kind of remembered with my daughter, um, it was easier when she was a baby. Once she turned two or three, it got a bit trickier and a bit harder. She's getting busier. She's getting active. And I wanted to be a present you know, present for her. And, and I knew once my son turned two, he's on the move a lot more and busier. So, and just in my mind, I felt like that was a good time. Um, at that point i have been racing for 15 years. I feel like, um, you know, I had completed uh, a lot in the sport. I, I, had, I was very, um, you know, obviously I, I guess, like you said, I didn't ever complete an Ironman, which was something that I attempted to do. Um, but I'm at peace with that with not, you know, crossing that off my bucket list. Um, and lo and behold, um 2020 was a pandemic year. Who knew? And also I wanted to extend my family as well. Um, about a month after I retired, I became pregnant with my third. And with three, no wife. <laughs> I couldn't imagine doing it right now with my three. Um, as I tell I joke with my husband um every day is a mini marathon. It's kind of like, you know, that's just, you know, I wake up and kind of hit the ground running and I go to bed just exhausted, you know, just, just in a different way.
0: And I don't think I even realized that you'd had a third child. So congratulations belated a year late, but like, beside so. from, you know, the family life, which obviously is a big, big part of your life. How have things been since you stepped away from competitive sport? Do you still do anything recreationally?
1: I will. Um I would love to do more. <laughs> um I mean so when I was pregnant with um with my daughter I tried to I didn't do as much as I did with my other two because I knew I was getting back into racing with my other two but when I was pregnant with my other two I didn't do much. I mean I maintained an hour a day which you know is I think very realistic with my daughter um I cut it down to really about 30 45 minutes Five times a week, just enough just to stay healthy or not, you know, just to try to keep my heart rate up, stay active. Um, Unfortunately, I probably worked out more when I was pregnant with my daughter than she, than after she's born. (laughs) So um, my husband now, he was in school full-time and with him working and just trying to fit. And then with the pandemic with um, earlier this year with, you know, the gyms being closed and and that, you know, obviously made things a little bit more challenging to fit in workouts. But now my, Training's different. You know, it'll be like kind of walking to the park or, you know, fitting in, a, jogging in the baby stroller or, you know, um, running up and down the stairs. I, I just try to be creative with fitting in little, little bits of workouts here and there. And, um, you know, I my, my husband, on the other hand, he is, Nate, he still gets up at five in the morning and he works out like two, three hours. He did a triathlon in July. He's going to do trail race. So he's he's holding it up for the team, you know, keeping up with the races. So I'm taking the back, the way back
2: seat at the moment. Like, And even watching the Olympics, I mean, no emotions are stirred up that maybe you want to get back into racing because I think you're 40 years old, which is super young still for the endurance sports (laughs) world. So, I mean, even jumping into age group racing, go back to St. Anthony's, anything like no nostalgia there yet? Oh,
1: well, it was so much fun watching the races. Like it brought back so many memories of ITU racing, which it's been a while since I've done ITU racing now. And I just uh it it did it it brought back emotions and feelings but it didn't bring back like i i i'm not there (laughs) um i mean like i said if i just family life is taking up so much of of my energy and my time right now and i'm focused right now on just you know being the best mother and and wife that i can be and and yeah that time i i feel like it it would just take so much energy and and to, to get to that spot Right now I'm done. My husband even says, he's like, can't we? He's like, let's just do St. Anthony's. Just do like once a year Saint Anthony's. You know, you can just, you know, be it just a part time. And I even mentioned that, I think, um, to him. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just like part-time race and hop into St. Anthony's. But now looking back, it's too hard to just be like part time. I feel like if I'm gonna do it, I'm either all in, you know, giving, you know, like wanting to perform. The best that I can, you know, like, or just not doing it, and that I feel like there's no in between. So, I'm in the way back seat.
0: Maybe once your kids get old enough, we can have a little relay action going on. I feel like that would be very cool. Um, You know, you have lots of years ahead of you, but Sarah, it's been so great to speak with you, to hear about your Olympic experience, to give us some insight into the Tokyo Olympics and to hear what you're doing now. You're definitely an athlete that I admired when, when you were racing. And, um, and so it's great to hear that you're doing so well in this next phase of life. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Haley. Thank you, Alyssa. It was great to chat with you ladies.
0: Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to OutspokenSummit.com. We hope to see you there.
2: The Iron Women podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off. So head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. Sarah is not our first guest to sing the praises of the St. Anthony's triathlon. And I think that's the one that neither of us have ever gotten to. So we're going to have to plan a time when we get down to St. Anthony's to race that race and we can experience it because I think it's going to, it's like, gotta be one of the best.
0: It has to be. I mean, we have Sarah Haskins saying it's amazing and Julie MT Walker and all the Atlanta Tri-Sisters love it. Molly Hayes, uh, was one of her favorites. So Definitely one that's on my bucket list. Uh, we asked Laurel Wassner, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we asked her like when she looks at her career, like what else does she still want to accomplish? And maybe I need to do the same thing with my own and put St. Anthony's on the list, head to St. Petersburg, Florida. I mean, it, it if, you know, if that race is happening in April, I can tell you that I would love to get out of Montana and go to Florida some April in the future next couple of years.
2: Yeah, considering we had like three snowstorms in New Hampshire in April, I think I'm on board with that plan too. So here we go. All right. Put it on the calendar one of these years. I love it. Um, And Haley, you helped me out so much with the beginning of the Olympic schedule by I was like going fully on your knowledge for what I had to watch with triathlon, but the triathlon events are over. And so I know there's like a few more big heavy hitters coming up with the Olympics events. Have you, do you know Maybe, uh, can you read my mind of what I cannot miss and like what times these things are?
0: Well, okay, by the time this airs, the Women's 10K Open Water Swim will have already happened because I think that is happening on Tuesday. Uh, And that's Ashley Twitchell, who is a guest on our show. But as far as if you're listening to this on Thursday, the day it comes out, um, the, uh, women's marathon, Alyssa, like the one that I ran in the big trials is happening on Friday. It's at 4 PM mountain time, 6 PM Eastern time. Your Friday night plans are, are set for you, right?
2: Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, that's yeah, that literally is perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know we couldn't ask for it better. Um, Alephine Tulemuk, I mean her Molly Seidel and Sally Caviego are the Americans. And then we have Melindy Elmore from Canada who was a guest on the show. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's many, many more athletes to, to be cheering for, but that, I don't know. I love, love, love watching major marathons. So this is going to be a good one.
2: Yeah, I'm super psyched and I, I can't, I don't even want to think about the Olympics coming to an end, but then we have the Paralympics coming up after that too, to get excited for. So we do have a lot more Olympic fever still on tap for all of our listeners. So don't worry about that. Um, and Haley, in the meantime here, I guess uh, I wish you well on your next week of, of Kona prep workouts. And I, I eagerly wait
0: next week when we find out our, our next assignment. Oh gosh. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Well, we'll, hopefully there's something good. Um, but Alyssa have a great week and I will talk to you soon.
2: Bye Haley. You have been listening to the iron women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron women is a production of live feisty
0: media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.